Welcome to Converse on the Couch from Life Stance Health, where each episode you'll hear engaging informative conversations with leading mental health professionals that will help guide you on your journey to leading a healthier, more fulfilling life. Hello, and welcome to Converse on the Couch by Life Stance Health. I'm Nikki Lianza, and on today's episode, I'll be talking with Melinda Zappone, a clinician from our Terrytown, New York office, and we'll be having a great conversation about how therapists are people too. So welcome back, Melinda. Great to have you back on. Hi. Good to be here. I know and, you're and not here at the same time. Yeah, that's we're right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. I know we had you on before where you had your amazing client share her story with bipolar disorder. We have you back on today to talk about just us therapists, right? And kind of our experiences. And so I know you told us a little bit about you last time you were on, but do you mind sharing a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to share. It's funny because this is my point is, you know, therapy is ultimately going to be a conversation. It's going to be a relationship, not really like, you know, we think of it as a service. So this is nice that I'm able to do this. I think that I am, I am Auntie Melinda, <laughs> you know, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, but really, I mean, I, I am a therapist. It's, it's very much who I am. Um, I'm somebody who struggled a lot with self-doubt my whole life and has a trauma history and was very disappointed with therapy myself. So, you know, I think that um, as I become a therapist, it's really, it's been at times therapy um, and it's been a real um, eye-opening experience with the, with boundaries and people um, and, and recognizing like, you know, I'll go buy a car and I'll know everybody's life story by the time I'm done. That's because I am a therapist. Um, so part of who I am is learning about people's life story. But even now when I go out into the world, I want to do that too. I want to know as I'm interacting with you, even though we're just buying a car, you know, what, what's the, what is the deeper relationship here that, you know, we can kind of get out of this experience. So I guess if I want to say a little bit about myself, I'm just, um, I'm a connector. I'm a listener. It's like who I am. So you definitely sound like you're a therapist through and through, for sure, yeah. Melinda. My gosh. So what initially got you interested in becoming a therapist? Um, you know, so many things. I When I look back on it, um, because you had given me this question, and I was trying to think about that. I feel like there's breadcrumbs, you know, I've like been following, I've been leaving breadcrumbs, but following breadcrumbs to, to this goal of becoming a therapist. Uh, I think, like I said before, um, I have... You know, I had a lot of self-doubt um, growing up. I was born into a family where it was kind of a pressure to make it a family because my mom had two kids before. Um, and so it really became like my birthright to kind of connect to this family, make it an actual family. And then when I was um, struggling in my own issues in undergrad, um, I didn't really know I wanted to be a therapist yet, but I was working in the psychology department and got involved with a professor there, um, did research with the professor and I just got hooked. I got totally hooked um, and 
realized once I was in graduate work, my issues were coming up inside that work. So then I really got hooked because I was like, I need to be a patient and a therapist at the same time and make sure that if I'm going to go into that, that room, I'm going to have a balance of lived experience, but also the clinical knowledge too. So that's, that's really what got me interested in being a therapist, but a specific kind of therapist, one that is not necessarily going to deny, you know, painful past experience myself and disappointments with this, this structure that we have, the mental health um, experience and the mental health services, you know, arena. Um, I kind of had a dual purpose. I really want to help people, but I also want to change the whole idea, the concept of getting help, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which leads us to the question about what, what do you feel keeps people from seeking therapy? What do you think is the hesitancy? Well, I think the hesitancy is actually what keeps people in a way from getting um, help because usually like kind of like quitting smoking, you've thought about it a million times, maybe for like 10 years. Um, and so by the time people are thinking about making that step, it's it's probably gotten pretty severe, whatever that it is. Um, and I, I also think that um, because of some of the medical model that we operate under, you a lot of people do not think, although things are changing, that it is gonna be a relationship is still like a service, a treatment, and we still speak about it that way. Um, so it's it's really hard and, and many people have never had a real trusting, listening relationship. So they're like, is that really what it is? Is it just talking? Um, so I think there's a lot of hesitancy because people are waiting so long that it's, they're coming with big stuff and they don't, they're thinking, is this gonna be an evaluation? This is an evaluation. I don't want that if with all this big stuff. Um, so, there's hesitancy, hesitancy on that level. And then I also think that there's um, like a, a painful past experience with um, sharing with whoever it was the first time that happened and fear that that is gonna happen again. You know, so almost like projecting mm-hmm. what's happened to them already in, in that regard of being understood, that is just like, oh, that's going to happen again. That's going to happen again. Some type of philosophy of just like, you know what, it's probably better to just kind of cope with it on your own. Got you. So what are some things you'd like people to really understand about what therapy is? I want definitely them for them to understand that it's a relationship. Yeah. With a real person. And who's going to grow from your experience too. I mean, I tell my, um, and it's always weird to say patient um, because I don't think of my patients as patients. I think of them as people, but I don't want to call them clients because that sometimes seems like, you know, they could be like my, I'm a financial advisor. Right, like business. And at first yeah. I got a business relationship. Right, mm-hmm. right. But I want people to understand it really is a, it's about a relationship that is going to affect you on so many levels in a good way. Um, it's you're going to leave sessions sometimes not feeling better, but feeling like you have something that is going to clean up so many things for you. It's going to trickle into work. It's going to trickle into your family, um, your friends. So I really want people to understand that you're going to come in thinking, oh, I just want to stop these panic attacks, or I just want to stop um, ruminating about this ex, you know, 
person that I've, that's been out of my life for years, but you're going to, you're going to grow on so many levels um, because it's a, it's a, it's the healthiest relationship, hopefully that you will ever have with another person. And then you're going to take that and spread it into your life. I love that, that you spread it into your life, kind of like yeah. seeds, like you're spreading. And so that things will bloom. Right. Right. Exactly. And, you know, it makes me think of, I know when I was a little kid and I happened to see my teachers out of, out of the classroom, like in the grocery store, you forget that they're real people too. You know, I think there's this, just this idealization of therapists. So, you know, in your opinion, why do you think people don't feel that therapists might be real people themselves? Well, I think, you know, in some ways you're, like I said before, you're going in at kind of your, the, the problem is the worst it's ever been usually. Um, and so you're about to kind of tell someone your story and have them reflect back what they heard. And if it's a regular person in your life, you you don't usually want that. Um, you, you maybe want to kind of complain a little bit or talk a little bit about your problem, but you're not usually ready to be like, hey, mom, this is my problem. So you kind of need to have that person just be a blank slate. Um, and I, I think sometimes what can happen is you either project an ideal. So I want this therapist to be the ideal sister, the ideal mother, that whoever your ideal or the vice versa can happen. You are, it, it's, it's so embedded in fear. Will this person understand me that you actually, the therapist becomes your worst fear, that teacher that judged you, um, that parent that, you know, abandoned you. Um, so I think that it's, you come in with baggage from past relationships and it just, it's not conscious that people so say to themselves, oh, I'm not going to think of the therapist as a, as a, as a real person, but it's just all these other relationships paced over and because that can be really intense and usually people are, are really smart about their stuff once they start talking about it so they can feel it too. And they'll, you know, I get some, what, what one might consider as inconsiderate behavior um, is so not in the context of a session because you can see that they just need you to just not judge them. Mm -hmm. And we, as therapists, we participate in that because we're like, I'm here to help whatever you need, you know, pr project on me. It'll, it'll be good. It'll be good for the relationship. We'll figure it out. So we participate in that a little bit as well. Um, and our own kind of, I want to help you through this qua squashes a lot of what we would normally maybe push back on a little bit and say, Hey, Hey, I am a real person if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. so I think it's a, it's a, it's a tango. You know, we also say we're not real. Don't worry about it. You know, like do whatever you need. This is safe space, but also people just need that because of most pain points are, are about other relationships and they kind of paste them onto you a little bit. Right. That projection. On yeah. For sure. Yeah. So what are some things you would like for people to understand about therapists? About therapists? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, becoming a therapist, and I think this is really true for most people. Um, it just, it split me wide open. It's made me who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really believe in the process, but that's not to say the process is going to be the same for every person. So while some, um, some people think that, you know, you go to the doctor and you just go through the same thing, you're, you know, take a number, you could be anybody's name. 
when we say that you have a treatment plan, I mean, you really have a treatment plan because of the medical model. Sometimes on paper, it looks like, you know, generic words, but each therapist is, I mean, I don't, we're definitely thinking about you more than you're thinking about us between sessions. Yeah. Um, And so we are developing a really intimate relationship with you in our heads. And that's not, I think in the past, therapists don't talk about that because countertransference is bad. You know, boundaries are so important, but to deny that um, is kind of, I think at this point, especially since the pandemic is kind of ridiculous. We are thinking about you all the time. And when you leave a session and we realize that we missed like an opportunity or something like, oh my God, that that going like this wasn't really going like this. It was trying, it was like literally almost like, I don't want to talk about this. Right. You miss that opportunity. And, and we think about that. We ruminate on it. Another thing I want people to know is you sometimes are helping us change and helping us be better people. Your experiences might be an experience that we've just never fathomed before, or you know about panic attacks, but when you see you know, somebody coming in who's recovered from panic attacks and now they're coming back. It's like, oh my God, you know, that is such a painful experience that you can't just put on a sheet that says diagnosis panic attacks. It's like, no, recovered from panic attacks. Now coming back, they're coming right. That's a totally different diagnosis in, in a way, you know, but that you can't just, you know, put on the DSM. So I think that, you know, people should really know, I mean, we are, we are monsters at understanding you. We do not want to just slap a diagnosis on you. We do not just want the 45 minutes to be up and next person. We do not just get concerned about your copay or, um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to take you. Um, if you don't, if we don't accept your insurance, that is what we suffer from for this work but that is not something that we participate with it's what comes to us that we have to accept in doing this job right i think you bring up a great point excuse me of how you know we we do think about our 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 people between our patients our clients in between sessions and then i i think another thing that people don't understand about therapists is that our our patients our clients can also have an effect on us in various ways. Yeah. Um, there's things like burnout and compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma. And so I thought this would be a great time for us to kind of dig in a little bit and have you help us understand some of those those terms a little yeah, bit more. So, you know, what I'm realizing is it's, and you know, these words get thrown around like they're the same thing. Yeah. And there's a lot of history behind, you know, um, we've discovered these phenomenons. And then in our field, the the struggle is always, how do we study? How do we quantify? How do we make a set of criteria for if this is occurring? Burnout is well known in any um, situation. I mean, any role that you can have in life, you can get burned out from being a mom, but also a you know Metro North worker, mm-hmm. uh, a car salesman, a therapist. So, you know, I think of it as like a spectrum. Burnout is really when you're getting exhausted um, from the job and you're coming home and you can't you can't function, but not a total deterioration of function, but it's more like 
you know, you sit at dinner and you can't participate as much with your kids. You're a little bit frazzled. Um, you want to have that healthy routine and wake up early and go for a walk in the morning, but you're, you can't do it. So you're kind of like fatigued from the work itself when it gets to, and I'm kind of imagining it on like a, a gradient when it starts to move into compassion fatigue. Um, it's, it's more like, um, you are starting to think, I don't know if I'm helping enough. I don't know if I'm doing a good enough job. Um, I don't know if I can in this structure. So with insurance the way it is, or only a certain number of visits or, you know, telehealth not being for everybody. Um, And you're really starting to feel like overwhelmed by your capacity to help being diminished somehow. And then there's like a little uptick on compassion fatigue when you start to get um, almost like depressed by the person's stuff them, themselves, or you you just feel like their problem you can it, it can only be managed so much, um, and you may be starting to work harder than your patients are. Mm-hmm. When it starts to get into compassion fatigue, when you feel like no one's no one's doing their work. And I'm just, I keep trying to think on like, how do I get them there? How do I, and you're a little bit, um, I don't want to say broken, but you're kind of, you're not feeling effective. And That's a good word. Good description. Of not, and you're feeling isolated more and yeah. more. You're not, you're thinking, you're not thinking about getting supervision. You're feeling like no one would understand. You're feeling like, Um, you know, should I continue doing this? What's the longevity of my career? And that's when compassion fatigue is really starting to kind of take its hold. When it gets into vicarious trauma, I mean, there, there's, there's different ways clinicians are clinicians. So there's a way you can have vicarious trauma when you do actual trauma work. Um, And there's definitely various ways a clinician can be involved in trauma work, front lines, aftermath. Um, but I'm going to talk about it in the more general sense is when you have vicarious trauma and you're really, um, thinking like these, these experiences that are happening to people out in the world are like happening to me too. And I'm not going to recover. I'm not going to be able to do this work anymore. Um, this was, you know, maybe there's people I have damaged and you're really starting to almost have like a, your own traumatic reaction. I almost hit compassion fatigue in my early in my career. I mean, um, vicarious trauma early in my career when I was, I w- I had to start as a peer specialist. Okay. Um, so they had me being a therapist sometimes, sometimes I was a group therapist, sometimes I was peer, sometimes I was a crisis um, responder. And the boundaries were so blurred um, that I started to just feel like, what did I just do? I can't do this. I can't, I'm just starting out. I haven't even been licensed yet. And I, I really don't think I can do this. What's going to happen to me? I was really like not sleeping. Um, when people would tell me their issues, I was just getting like, I was wearing the issue on me. So um, I think that when I say it's like a gradient um, or a spectrum, I feel like in the field we're headed towards, we need to, as systems, teach systems how to identify this in all professions. Yeah. Also 
I think we need to teach clinicians like, you know, this is happening to you actually in every session. You're getting a little bit of compassion fatigue, but you're you're managing it. It's how do you accept that, that you're always having countertransference, compassion fatigue, burnout, and you're just treating it. You're doing, you're developing a set of tools um, and it's not, you, you come back, you know, you come back and you and you have resilience and your, your clients or your um, patients are doing well. But there are times I think when we really need to be knowing you got to diagnose yourself, you know, and that you are on the spectrum. You're on the yeah. spectrum all the time. You're never not on the spectrum. Right. I think that's really, really important because there's still that nugget in our, actually, there's still like a huge <laughs> chasm in our field where it's like, if you're really good, you're always like, yeah, I love this work. You know, like all my patients love me. And I definitely was trapped in that for a long time when I came from, a hospital setting to life stance, a lot of my clients followed me. And I was like, yeah, this is, you know, I'm so good. In the reality is some of those patients shouldn't have followed me to the more um, independent outpatient setting because they were severely, you know, they, they needed to be connected to the hospital setting where they could go, you know, up into inpatient if they needed to after one of our sessions or into the outpatient program after they had one of our sessions. So early on, I definitely was kind of, I'm a, I'm a monster at this. Like I'm never going to back down. I'm never going to give up on, on one of my patients. And it was patients themselves that kind of are observational and they start asking you like, are you okay? <laughs> you know, um, that, you know, really kind of made me realize they try and address it in grad school. You need self-care. Um, but I think it's not so much that you need self-care. You need to be constantly growing as a person. Yeah. You need to be constantly recognizing that you are, you, you're not being perfect is exactly why you're perfect for this. Your acceptance of not being perfect is exactly why you're so perfect because you will realize you're having, you know, a session with someone and they're talking about their spouse and you're like, oh my God, that's, that's why I'm not you know, focus this week because I've been doing, dealing with a similar right. thing. And I've been just saying, I'm a therapist, you know, it's, everything's fine. It's more about my patients. I need to, you know, make, I need to make sure that that's wrapped up in a box right. so that I can care right. for my patients. So I think it's just really, really important that um, we recognize you it's, it's always happening. Yeah. This is happening and you have to recognize that um, you should probably be every week kind of diagnosing where you are. Kind of um, assessing your own well-being. Yeah, exactly. And then I also think, you know, something, you know, that probably our higher-ups are not going to appreciate, but email your higher-ups and, and let them know when we're not having trauma-informed treatment. Um, I think this Fina here um, and, and a little bit Anne and Siobhan um, will know. I'm, a, I'm like, a, I don't think you know, we don't have anything in the patient consent that says you kind of can't just drop out of treatment. You're going to have to, if you want to stop, you're going to be called and asked for a termination session because we're not going to just let you walk away and make not make sure you don't have some type of plan or somebody helping you, you know, no judgment. We're not trying to get you back in, right. but it, that's, right. that can be traumatic to just your insurance bill got too high and you're just going to stop treatment. Like, no, we will, we'll, we don't have to charge you, but talk to us about, you know, what your plan is, even if you're going to make that decision. 
So I think also too, as clinicians, if you're ever feeling like you're possibly overworking to try and solve a systems issue, email your higher ups and say, listen, I'd really like to talk to somebody. I don't know exactly what I'm thinking, but I'm thinking something in this area when they are just sent a bill and then we don't see them like that needs follow up. And me as a clinician, you know, it's a little bit larger than what I can do to have some type of thing to address that even maybe even in a preventative way and not wait till after. Right. Be proactive about it. Yeah. Yeah. Any other takeaways you'd like to share? Um, yes, I think that um, it's just really, really important, I think, for people out there to realize this mm-hmm. is all about you. Um, and if you are better, everybody is better. Um, and I know that sounds so cliche, but the 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 getting help is truly helping everybody. You will find that once you have, even if you just come in um, and you're only solving a minor issue, it, you will see that it impacts the rest of your relationships. Mm-hmm. And I also want to say, you know, tailor shop around. If you go to a um, a therapy session and um, the the dynamics, you don't click with the person. I'm not lying when I say it's about the relationship. So what you would do, and and I think clinicians should feel more comfortable too, to say, you know what, I felt like you were holding back. You know, do you think that you want to try another intake with another clinician? Or was there any type of thing that you were expecting today that you didn't get? Because I'm I'm feeling like maybe you're a little unsatisfied right now. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that we should as clinicians be reminding ourselves that like, okay, but you're, you're kind of in also a real relationship right now with someone and they're having you, we, all of us as clinicians, I think could be a little less scared that they're trying, they're out there Googling us and trying to realize like who we are as a person. So wouldn't you rather tell them the, right. Yeah. Than, than try and kind of pretend that, um, what they, what they're seeing or what they're looking up is real information you know, or superimposing what they see on TV. Right. Right. You know, I was talking with my brother um, because he used to be a trainer for like more of the corporate world and helping managers. And I, I, we were talking about how sometimes you're late. Sometimes people are back to back and it spills over. And I, I say to him, you know, sometimes I'm literally starting a session like a goofball. Cause I'm just like, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm late. You know, it, there's really no excuse for it. Um, I'm not going to tell you the story unless you want me to, you know, and I'll start session like that because they, they, they start session like that too. And I think sometimes it's important for you, for them to see what that looks like when they do it to you. Yeah. Gosh. We try and bring little nuggets of like what happens in real relationships yeah. in session. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And and it, you exude such a caring, sensitive nature. I can see where your own uh, individuals that you work with probably definitely feel that. Uh, you're very genuine, which is, I think, so key to being a good therapist as well, that genuine genuosity of it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's why it's important. I mean, it's not for every clinician. and And if you have you know, very like kind of strict CBT, you know, approach. Um, but I do think doses of genuineness can be built in and it's it's not going, the take home message I think for clinicians is it's not going to hurt 
you you are not starting to become some blurred person who's talking right. about their divorce in the other person's session. Um, so I, I think it's really important to, if you have not tried at least to hone that craft of bringing some of the real you into session, try it, you know, and it's, go back to your grad school days. We had to try stuff. You were not perfect when you were first starting out. So trying something new now is not going to hurt you. It's only going to make it better, but you do also not have to be in isolation when you're trying these things. You know, you want to talk about if you tried something new in a session and you feel like ridiculous because you were stumbling and it didn't go well. And did you harm your, your, you know, your client or your patient um, or the individual (laughs) Um, talk about it? you know, definitely talk about it. And just, I want clinicians, I want people in the world to know that we're growing as people, but I really want clinicians, give clinicians the permission. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's key for ourselves, giving ourselves permission to grow as people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's, I think there's a little curiosity out there, like have all therapists been through stuff and I I can't really speak to that, but I know I have. And you, it's not that becoming a therapist is my solution to that. Definitely not. But I I have been disappointed by therapy. You know, the, the certain traumas were not identified. No one, you know, kind of brought it out of me, but that, that that's the, that's why it's so important that people understand it's a relationship because you have to be sure that you're going to trust this person and then you bring it out together. It's not, I love like, that. Bringing it out together. Like the clinician kind of goes like, like, I went to the therapy session and she didn't even pick up on that. I, you know, and it's like, well, because you have to wait for the trust and you're going to, re- you're going to trust yourself to reveal more information, tell your story in a different way each session, even though you think you're talking about the same thing. And once the clinician starts to really know you, they're like, wait a minute, I think you're holding back there. You know, right. wait a minute. Why was that language all of a sudden like a younger you, I got a vibe that you were like a younger you all of a sudden. And and then it opens as yeah. it should, you know, everybody's had that feeling of when a relationship gets deeper and you're mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, this is so cool. I know so much more about you. Well, therapists feel that way too. Yeah. You know, get yeah. To know more. We're like, Oh, now I can, now we can really kind of get you past your pain points or help you understand what's happened to you in your life you know, and, and, and who, you, who you are right now sitting here talking about this particular prog- problem at this particular time, you know, so I, I, you can see like, as I, as I get really into it, I get so animated. I can see, I can see. I'm so proud of people working on themselves and it's just so good for the world we're in right now. I can see your passion with all this too, Melinda. You're, you definitely sound like you're, you being a therapist was your calling. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to say, you know, I know we're probably like winding down. I like to say that I kind of, so in the pandemic, I'm because I don't have as much contact or I didn't have as much contact with my colleagues. I was writing a lot. And I realized one day I'm like, I call it my by accident book because I started by accident writing a book. And I think I'm going to call it therapists or people too, um, in the hopes that, um, therapists can see a way that they can kind of work on themselves, but also mm-hmm. um, bring it into session, but, but in the working on themselves, take care of themselves too. And then people can get a real understanding that, you know, we are in therapy too with you. You know, when you're doing the work, we're kind of doing the work too. 
um, and that we really are rooting for you. We want you to, yeah. you know, work on what you need to work on and then maybe stop working on it and come back again if you yeah. if something else comes up. I don't want to minimize that, yes, we have a DSM and diagnosis is important. And some symptoms are symptoms. And it's, you know, like when we did the podcast for bipolar, um, you're not a bad person because you're in mania and there's not a better way to think about your mania. But also too, if you address yourself as a person and what's happened to you in your life and you're just healthy with all those painful points um, that never got processed, actual symptoms, if you have panic attacks, if you have um, mania, if you have deep depressions will actually improve. Um, because when you feel better, when you feel healthier with your relationship with yourself and your thinking, you think about other people better and that actually changes your chemical, like your chemical makeup. So, you know, I could go on and on and on about <laughs> how wonderful therapy is for yeah, yeah. the whole world. But I do, I do really think it's about, you know, trust that for clinicians, trust that you are having about a million relationships a year. So take care of yourself because you're not just providing a service. You're in like multiple intimate relationships. And for people, you know, trust that this is a real relationship. So when you start building the trust, do, don't get scared. Don't drop out of treatment. Keep going. It's going to be wonderful for you and your whole, all your different um, systems that you participate in, your family, your friends, your work, your community, um, and kind of like, you know, like the pandemic has shown us kind of almost like politically at large, we become all of the same viewpoint because we're all just wanting to be better, be better humans, you know? Exactly. Thank you, Melinda. I, again, your dedication, your genuineness, your passion all comes through. And I, and I wish you well on your book too. I think that's a Thank great you. idea. I said it now, I said it out loud. So now it has to out there. Kind of the trick. I had needed to say it out loud. So I actually finish it one day. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, best of luck with that. And thank you again for being on and sharing your knowledge on this. Thank you for the opportunity, Nikki, and, and all your um, ways that you're op offering opportunities to so many of our clinicians feeling like they have a voice in their, in their whatever their speciality is. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Convos from the Couch is produced by the amazing team of Jason Clayton, Chris Kelman, and Juliana Whedon. Please subscribe to Convos from the Couch on Google, Apple, Spotify, or from your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening.